this intro always fucks up with me. Uh, okay, guys, welcome to another Funky Marketing Show. Uh, I'm glad to uh, to welcome uh, another one of the guys that's coming from from Serbia, uh, and another one of of them that is doing the great job, and especially in the in the field that I like to talk about, to jam about, and it's content marketing. So uh, today with me is. Um, Let's use his uh, English name, right? Ugi Djuric, uh, who has founded the, the content agency, which is called Content Horse, because uh, he's in love with, with horses and riding, those kind of stuff. I'm sure he'll tell us something about it. And they work with some uh, really great companies and achieved great results. And they, you know, he likes to talk about it. So this is what we're going to talk about today. He worked with Lemlist, with GetResponse, with Surfer, Pomptin, uh, User Pilot, and some other uh, companies, and uh, join me in uh, welcoming Ugi to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Namanya. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for all the all the promotion and everything. Uh, you know, seems like uh, LinkedIn is giving me some uh, limits when it comes to inviting people to the events and they changed something last night. So uh, still need to catch up on the updates when it comes to you know LinkedIn events, streaming and all those other things. I think they might be giving us chance to, to go live stream directly from LinkedIn. We'll see what's going on about it. But, uh, you know, tell me what did I miss in, uh, in, you know, in telling a few things about you. Yeah, so uh, the intro was very good. Thank you very much about that. Uh, so yeah, in the natural, like Content Host is an all-inclusive content marketing agency that works mainly with B2B SaaS brands. Um, when I say all-inclusive, I mean like that we cover literally every aspect of content marketing from ICP research to where content writing, guest blogging, content distribution, and so on. Uh, yeah, our client portfolio is, I'm very proud of it. So we have some really great- You should be, I mean. Uh, and the one thing, although that you missed is uh, that besides content course, I'm also co-founder of Podino, yeah. uh, a podcast booking agency where we aim to make business experts become a thought, thought leaders in, in their field by placing them to speak on the best podcasts in their niche. So yeah, I mean, like, that's pretty much it. I'm on this guy. That's that's interesting, and I want to get to that another company at one moment as well. Uh, but let's start. Let's start with a, there was a, a funny funny meme uh, on your profile uh, when you said you know you know you are a good leader when your team members start making memes out of your silly meeting faces, uh, and uh, it relates a lot uh, with you know with. Uh, the way I see the company culture building and those kind of things. I had like uh, even me recording videos of me dancing during the pandemic and those kind of things. And I actually presented that to the, you know, Nice Gazpromet and some other companies and they really liked it and they used it as a showcase to show like how CEOs should change the narrative and everything. Cause like, I think that the culture and everything starts from the, from the founder, from the CEO, and then it evolves as you involve other people inside the company. So tell me a little bit, how do you see the, the company culture? Yeah, definitely. So 
essentially when you, uh, what I think that many CEOs and founders out there get wrong is that uh, whenever you are, whatever you achieved in business, in, in your career, in your life, uh, that's mainly because of your employees. Or let's say I don't like that expression much. I, I prefer to call them teammates or colleagues. Yeah. And when you set the things like that way, uh, then it's clear that you need to work as much as you can to improve your company culture, to create a space where people enjoy working together, to create relationships with, with, your, with your teammates. Because at the end of the day, like we spend, although we are all remote, we spend more time working with each other uh, every day than, than spending a time with our families, right? So at the end of the day, every co company should be as a family itself, right? We are there to support each other. We are there to help each other grow, uh, to help each other in difficult times, especially this, all, this entire situation with COVID teached us a lot of things. Uh, there were moments where my agency, as like every other business, had some let's say downtime, some consequences during the pandemic. And especially during the first first wave, I think it was like two years ago, uh, Content Horse was working mostly with freelancers rather than full-time employees. And since we, we've lost like 30, 40% of the clients, I didn't have like need for some of the freelancers, but I created them some imaginary tasks, gave them some content that I really never published, but I gave them to write and gave them like 300, 400, $1,000 just so they can uh, survive through this situation. And that's essentially what every company is about. It's about giving back to its teammates, giving back to its community, to, to the country, to the causes that we, that we care about. And at the end of the day, as I mentioned at the beginning, like, a company can't be successful without successful teammates, right? So if the people enjoy working there, it's more than a salary, right? So we at Content Horse, like, we mainly uh, employ people from Serbia, from the Balkans, from the Eastern Europe. And to be honest, our talent can go and work for some American companies and earn two times, three times more. But at the end of the day, those internal things, those internal internal jokes, the relationships that we have with our teammates is what keeps us keeps us together. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned something that you know, like the culture is more important than than the MRR, yeah. because like your teammates and people you work with, they get you to the MRR, not exactly. the other way around. You know, that's how exactly. it goes. If you focus on them, they will get you further than you can get yourself. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, like, not having a company culture, uh, a great company culture, and uh, hiring bad people uh, can cost you 10 times more than investing more money and more time into the right people. Right. So, it's something that I, I've learned on my skin. So, at the beginning, as a 18 year old founder like all i i cared about is was uh having as much profit as possible and uh taking as much profit from the company as i could right so at the end of the day i ended up hiring cheap writers 
reselling them for like 50 times. Uh, but long story short, like a couple of months later, I was again on the step one because they weren't providing high quality work. I wasn't a good leader and I needed to rehire many people a couple of times. Uh, so yeah, essentially at the end of the day, it's not about making millions. It's about making an impact and working with people you love. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Elizabeth Parks ask ARR annual recurring revenue. Yeah, that's, that's basically, uh, what we're talking about. Uh, okay. That, that sounds good, but how do you, I have a question now, since we are into the topic, um, how do you look at hiring? Do you hire people who have like, let's say we talk about content writers. Uh, do you hire people who, you know, have, have the talent, but not, not much of a technical knowledge, or uh, you go the other way and hire somebody who, you know, who has a technical knowledge and, uh, you know, magically get the talent. Cause I, I, in my opinion, you cannot get the talent if they don't have it right away. But yeah. from the technical aspect, this is something that you can work with them on. Yeah. So hiring is something that we are, uh, honestly in content horse and Podino iterating all the time, uh, learning, uh, nonstop, uh, to be honest, it's something that I don't quite like to do, uh, but like it's a necessary part of every company. So yeah, it's something that you're always learning from, uh, from, uh, and when I need to choose between those two types of people, I would always choose a person who has a talent, who has an ability to create great story, uh, to create great flows inside the content and doesn't have a technical knowledge. While because technical knowledge in content horse, everything is systemized, everything is processed. Like we have guides for pretty much every on-site SEO and in general SEO related things, like, right? So we have checklists, we have how to step-by-step -step guides that our people are reading upon onboarding themselves. And at the end of the day, like learning those things is pretty much straightforward. It's easy. It's nothing complicated. And at the other hand, I'm also not quite a fan of the SEO first content. So uh, SEO optimization for me comes at the second place. Uh, I guess we will talk about that more later on. So yeah, yeah, yeah all these people who have talent, who have the grind, who have the hustle. Um, it's not a rule, uh, but in, in content horse, we like aim for younger people who are hungry. Um, of course, if someone fits our criteria, we will also hire someone who is older. There is no discrimination about that. But what, what I want to say, like, I am 22 years old. Uh, we have people who are 30 years old, 35 years old, and we also have people in our company who are 18 years old, 20 years old. So age doesn't matter. What matters is an ability and a desire to do great work, to uh, elevate ourselves and get new skills fast, fail fast, test fast and learn fast. Yeah, I'm listening to you and there's a whole generation of young entrepreneurs your age. And I was like, 
man, I wish I was I was growing up in, in this age. <laughs> but okay, it's never it's never too late. Because okay. like uh, doing what I do now, it was impossible when I was your age. Yeah, because exactly. uh, like basically the internet as we know it it didn't exist in that in that way and i remember back in the days like uh i was considered uh you know lazy just because you know i was doing lots of stuff but you know i wasn't like uh employed somewhere i was basically entrepreneurial back in the days and you know if you don't work in the factory or uh i mean in a factory because my hometown is where Michelin is, so everybody's thinking that way, you know, like, you are a failure. But, uh, you know, a couple years later, I'm the only one in the family that works. Yeah. Actually, looking at my uh, family from my hometown, and it's like, you know, because I knew things are coming, I could see it, but I couldn't do nothing to make it uh, go faster. You know, and it teaches you, uh, you know, how to handle the environment, how to handle yourself, how to, you know, become more, uh, well, more patient. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like I entered the, the entire entrepreneurship game uh, when I was 16, 17. So uh, that's high huge. School, yeah. A high school friend, now my uh, best mate. Uh, and, and I started some like crazy tech startup that, Right now, when I remember that, that idea was like stupid. It, it didn't make any sense. But for us at that time, that was a huge, huge lesson. We even enrolled in some startup incubators, uh, got the mentors, uh, got, got a 3,000 euros investment to learn from one uh, really great mentor and uh, Serbian entrepreneur. Uh, and he didn't like wanted anything in return. He just gave us the money and 3000 euros for us at that time. That was huge. And he gave us the money just to learn as much as we can. Uh, and yeah, like it's something that completely changed my mind. And to be honest, even today, I'm also lazy. Like uh, sometimes if I don't feel like I want to work, I won't work like, because it doesn't make sense to force myself on anything. I would rather like, sit on the balcony, uh, read some book, read some epic fantasy, watch Game of Thrones, play Sony. Like, it's all about creating a great balance. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I wish I knew that back in the days. <laughs> but it, it's good. It's what I'm doing today. So yeah, yeah it's it's Never good to like hear that. That, that you know you are taking care of yourself. I mean, people don't know, but you are a young father as well. Yeah. So you know, lots of stuff going on, and you need to have a balance to to actually survive it all. Yeah, definitely. It's challenging, and to be honest, like raising a baby is more challenging than growing a business or starting a company. Yeah, I, th I think that's, you know, if I fail, uh, you know, that's okay because yeah. the, the most important part is, is uh, you know, downstairs. And exactly, it. yeah. So uh, yeah. let's go, let's go to the next step. Uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, in a way it's uh, related to both, to both of your companies. So, um, you know, today, uh, business owners uh, and business leaders 
you know, uh, as we as we as we see it, everybody's on LinkedIn, and you need to be positioned as position as a thought leader to be able to stand out. You need to, I mean, all depends how we define thought leadership, but it's you know giving the new perspective on some of the things or the new solution or uh, allowing people, uh, you know, to to see things in a new way. That's that's how I defined it, uh, at least. And, uh, you know, to be able to do that, it's not only in creating content because nobody sees the content. If okay. in if we do it the way it was done before, nobody sees it. Maybe, you know, if we have people in the newsletter, they will see it. If we distribute it through the newsletter or, you know, friends and family uh, or like, 14 people, including them from the company, will see it when we share it on the company page. And that's it. It's I like to call it, uh, it's creating content, uh, you know, f- so nobody sees it. Basically, the way we uh, distribute it, it's like we, we doom it uh, to fail right from the start. So uh, tell me, like, you're doing uh, something uh, in a way you're distributing the content. Uh, that you know this is the part that we are doing it as well and lots of companies didn't figure out that uh in my in my opinion it's because there's a lots of manual stuff to be done there and you need to get to know your customers very well so you know the journey and you use those information to kind of you know distribute the quantity the right way so let's talk a little bit about it yeah exactly so uh you're right like what many people get wrong is the content distribution uh first of all not or let's say a majority of marketeers out there don't focus on content distribution at all uh, when in reality it's actually even more important than just writing the content uh, because it's like it's like with the product right uh, if there is one phrase that i really let's say hate it's built it and they will come right mm-hmm. so <laughs> it doesn't make any sense uh, uh, there is no sense in writing great content and just publishing it in your site, hoping that someday it will rank on Google without distributing it. Uh, so that's the first part. And then the second part, 90% of people who actually do the content distribution, so who invest time, they do it the wrong way, right? Uh, and here, here is why. So many articles out there, many, many content out there is written, first of all, for the google and the seo as a first channel in mind right and then they are using that article and resharing it on other social media uh channels or other channels at all like reddit hacker news like whatever and that's some sort of okay but what's the problem there the problem is that that article is written uh for a let's say search intent right? And when you share it on your LinkedIn profile or on your Facebook profile, uh, the chances that you will reach and get attention from a person who needs something like that are very low, right? Does it make sense what I want to say? Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, so that's why content needs to be repurposed, right? Uh, there are two, let's say, main uh, approaches to this game. The first one is one article per distribution channel, 
So one article that's aimed for Twitter distribution, one article that's aimed for LinkedIn distribution, one article that's aimed for organic SEO, because uh, not all channels like the same type of distribution, right? So on LinkedIn, uh, you want something inspiring. You want something that gets attention, right? On Instagram, you need the images. On Twitter, you people want something that's educating. People want strong opinions. People want something that will unleash some kind of emotions, right? Newsletter is also a different game. Reddit or Hacker News, they don't like promotion at all. They, they don't like being... Uh, marketed to right uh so whenever you're distributing your content it needs to be repurposed that way so it will let's say fit the nature of every platform so creating one article per distribution channel is a one one way of doing that the other way that i personally like more is creating a pure page uh about some let's say some topic some thematic uh, that consists of a couple of different cluster articles where each one of them is aimed for multiple distribution channels. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, SN fail is they just take a URLs and reshare it on different channels. Like that, that's not the way of how to do it, how to do that, right? So you need to create, uh, let's say, images and graphs for for communities you need you 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 need to take like one longer and create five in that twitter threads where one twitter thread is like about one section of your article right so uh, you you can also create your article and create a youtube video you can take your article article and create like five or six shorter one minute videos for Twitter, for LinkedIn, for Instagram, for TikTok, uh, like, or I think TikTok is more of 50 second, 30 second video, something like that. Uh, but it, then, right? it, it, has, it has, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, a uh, couple of lengths that you can choose. Yeah, I'm not quite a fan of TikTok. I mean, I started using it, but after five days, I realized that I'm spending five plus hours on, on, on the platform. Uh, so I deleted it immediately. Uh, but essentially, like one piece of content can be distributed and repurposed on infinite times. And another problem that I see is that people do the distribution once. When in reality, they can do it all the time. And another great strategy for distribution is also a pre-launch. It's something that we used to do a lot in Lamlist and Lampod. Uh, we had our community, we had a pre-launch, we had a really great traction on our personal LinkedIn as well. So we were pre-launching articles, building a hype around them, and then getting thousands and thousands of people to read it the first day after after publishing. Yeah, there, there's also, um, I think if you're going into the new ways, it's, you know, uh, content upgrade as well. When you can use, you know, like you just write an article on the topic, then you do a content upgrade in going into more details. Then you another do another content upgrade in like bringing in other thought leaders to give their opinions on the topic. So they reshare it and go, I mean, it can be done the first time, but let's just assume like you can 
update it on and on and on. But, uh, you know, you can do lots of stuff with the content. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, you know, especially now when you have different platforms uh, and you have people that are over there just because they like the way other people are communicating on the platform. So they actually don't want you to share the way other people aren't sharing on the platform. Because, exactly. you know, cause you, you, I'm here, you know, like uh, I'm on Twitter because I like the way people are communicating on Twitter. Or like uh, I'm on Quora because I like to read the answers. I like to answer. Or I'm on Reddit because, you know, I like some stuff that nobody else knows about and I like to dig up stuff, you know, those kind of things. Uh, so basically it gives us back to, you know, you need to know who your customers are, who your ICP is, and then, you know, you need to know, uh, how to solve their problems. When you know all of that, you actually merge it and you get where they are, uh, and why are they there? I think that's, that's actually more important than where they are. It's why are they spending time over there? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like. Uh, the first, that's also something that many people miss out, which is a huge mistake. The first thing that we do whenever we are starting to work with a new client is an ICP research and finding that content market fit, right? So finding out what type of content our clients, dream customers care about, where they hang out on the web, what communities they visit, like. Uh, so we can, of course, plan the distribution the right way. Um, so there is a framework that we have developed. Uh, I can share it with you later, so you can share it in your community. Uh, a set of like 10 questions uh, aimed for three, four groups of, of, let's say, segments of people. The first one are the sales reps. The second ones are the account managers, customer support, customer success reps. The third one are the power users, so the existing power users of, of, of our client. And the fourth one are the majority users of our client, right? And we ask them a couple of questions. Of course, like we follow the conversation. We, we jump on a quick 50, 20 minute video call, ask them the, these questions, follow the conversation, ask them sub questions if necessary. Uh, and then at the end of the day, we do uh, the analysis of, of the old, 20, 30 interviews that we've conducted. And we get a couple of uh, results. The first one is how aligned are the sales team and the success team, right? Uh, so that's that's the first, first thing. And the second thing is, again, the most important part, what, what are the pain points of the customers? What triggers them to start using our client's product so we can communicate it better inside the content and get more conversions? And the third, what type of content they care about, what type of content they consume, and where they hang out. So, yeah. Sounds good. Here's a question. Let's let's answer it. Uh, Alexander Atza Dimitrievich asked the question, uh, when distributing content, should we lead the audience on all of these different channels to the ultimate resource, like a fully optimized blog article? Yeah. That's an interesting question. Yeah, definitely a very, uh, very good question. Or should the CTA be different, although the content topic is the same? Mm -hmm. um, I would say in these types of situation, test out, like test out what works. Um, of course, not everyone should be led to the same uh, 
uh, type of the content. Like you can do that, but again, we are uh, going back to what we what we discussed earlier. Uh, it's not one content for ten distribution channels. You rather one article or, or one content type for one distribution channel. Uh, it's also important to know the difference or actually to know what content really is. Content is a very, very broad term, right? So content is not blog post. That's what many people I notice get wrong. Content mm -hmm. is blog posts, videos, YouTube videos, Twitter videos, LinkedIn videos, Twitter threads, LinkedIn posts, uh, images, images for communities, infographics, like all of that is content, right? And Every, everything uh, that you can create, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Except in in Serbian we call it sadržaj, and that's I think more Which is a very stupid content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but actually that is you know when you when you look at it, I mean if we, if we translate it into the English literally, it sa says like uh, you know resume yeah. of like the document, and to me it's like you can see that so many things uh, are under the content. Yeah. You know, in a way. Exactly. So essentially, uh, what you have one audience and you want to lead them to one to one type of content. Now, uh, or let's say for the illustration, let's take a look at this one, right? So you have a money page, a money blog post. So essentially a landing page or a blog post, like whatever that's designed to bring you leads, to bring you conversions, to bring you money, right? And then you have other content types like videos, uh, blog posts, different blog posts, articles, Twitter threads, etc. That's goal is, uh, and you're distributing those uh, other content types on different channels, right? So the, the goal of distribution is to bring your audience on those clusters, so those other content topics. And the goal of those content topics, uh, blog posts, videos, etc., is to bring your audience on the money page, where they will make a make a conversion and leave you the money. Now that money page, of course, depends on your business model, product, whatever it is. But essentially, that's that's the entire philosophy, and that's the let's say that content funnel. Let's call it like that pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the you know uh, it's important what you want to do with the with the article, exactly. or, or or with the content piece. So what what's the goal of it? Is it go is uh, the goal of it to convert, or it has a goal to educate, or it has a goal to you know to create trust? There are all kind of different different things that you know like content agency probably. Uh, Ugi, yours as well is is asking when you know when you are before you start writing the content. You know what's the purpose of the content. Exactly. When you know that, then it makes things a lot easier because you know who you are talking with. You know what you what you want to do with it. So exactly. uh, lots of times, you know, uh, you can write a piece of content which is in the way uh, it's if it's a pillar content, usually it's the one for the SEO, but all those sub pillars that you have over there, they are the ones from which you are actually getting the gems that you can share on social media. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in that way, of course, you're going to put the link to the to the main article uh, in the comments or somewhere else. 
but it's not the goal for them to go and click over there. The goal is for you to give them value right in the spot. I, mean, I think th those are the things that change very much um, in the recent uh, months. I think not before that, uh, because people started to consume the content in the feed. They don't want to click and go somewhere because they don't know what they will find over there. It's the same, I think, with the uh, with the lead magnets, ebooks, those kind of things. Uh, they they feel like uh create the trust inside the feed then you know people aren't stupid exactly. they can go on google they can go on linkedin wherever find you find your company and get the research okay just tell them that there's a there's a one more resource there uh, i talked with with ognen uh here on the podcast and he said uh he very well defined those things like we talk about should we gate or ungate the content and you know like Content should be free, but resources should be gated. And what do I mean by that? You know, you, you tell people, for example, uh, 10 uh, ways in, uh, you know, the checklist of 10 things you need to do to create a perfect landing page, for example. And the resource here should be, here are the five landing pages that convert the most for us. Use it right away. So uh, in that way, yeah, I think we should, uh, you know, create the content in a little bit different way and thinking, think about it more in a, you know, in the way that people today buy and consume things differently. You know, exactly. we all have limited time. I mean, look at you, like you have a baby, you like to ride a horse, you have the agency to manage and still, you know, you are young and you want to create things and be even better in what you do. So, you know, you will get to LinkedIn, you will get to Twitter and you expect over there to find some things that can help you uh, be better in what you do, right? Exactly, exactly. Like, as you mentioned, let's just quickly recap that. So uh, many people think about the goals and the distribution after they write an article, right? When in reality, uh, they should think about that at the beginning. So a couple of mm -hmm. things they should think about before actually starting to writing is what is the unique angle that I'm going to take on this? My unique approach, my unique view on this, uh, on this let's say, problem. Uh, how am I going to distribute this content? And at the end of the day, what is the goal? When it comes to the goals, to be honest, there are, let's say, only two goals that I, I accept, let's say, like that. The, the first, one goal is to build a hype. Uh, to improve your brand awareness. And the other goal is money. Every other, other things like organic traffic, backlinks, I want to get backlinks, etc. Those are all like the vanity metrics. Okay, it's important to keep an eye on them, to, uh, to have them on some sort of a KPIs. But at the end of the day, what matters the most is how well are you known among your target audience, uh, which isn't quite easy to measure, to be honest. And the third, how many conversions how much money are you getting, right? So yeah, those are essentially some, some things that everyone should pay attention before writing every, every article. And as you said, like uh, what, what's also important whenever, when distributing articles, when writing Twitter threads, so uh, you said it well, people wanna stay in the feeds, right? They wanna stay in the feeds, but what's also important is to have your let's say own style to have your own voice something that will make you recognizable among 
the competition. Why? Because let's say you have 15 people who are tweeting 100% uh, same things, right? And you have an audience of like 1,000 people. They might uh, engage only one guy, uh, even because even if like all 15 tweets are 100% the same. Why they will engage with one guy? Because they have an affinity to, towards that, that guy, right? So they respect him, they love him, they recognize him, his voice, his style, whenever they, they go. And that's also why it's important to distribute content among other channels so you can build an affinity uh, with your target audience. Yeah, well said. I like the I like the example. So uh, basically, what we are saying here is, uh, you know, that we should write for the people, and for the yeah. you know, uh, know who we are writing about and write for them, not for the SEO, not for the for the engine. Because, like, to give an example, we're working a lot with with SaaS companies. You work with SaaS companies as well. Uh, lots of them are having new products that are something totally new so in lots of cases uh you know they don't want to have content uh it's not the goal for them to be found on google because people don't go to google to find them something uh on google yeah if you want to use the existing demand if there is the existing demand then you go and create stuff for google but let's say for example you want to create thought leadership content you want to you know talk about the new way you're solving things, you have the new uh, product which is solving things in a new way, you gotta create the original content for the for the people to consume, to give them the new look and some of the things. And if you do it like that, some of the things that you uh, use if you write for the SEO, they are a little bit, uh, you know, different because you won't go and you won't look at the keywords or the ranking articles and then you know try to replicate the process and those kind of things you go and do something something completely different so uh that's at least how i see it so i'm interested in in the way you see you know writing for the people instead of writing for the seo yeah definitely so um a couple of things about this uh please do not look at let's say search volume uh, do not look blindly at search volume and keyword difficulty. Those that's just that's extremely um, important one. Exactly. That's just for the orientation, right? So I had a really great discussion once with uh, Rand Fishkin. Uh, he co-founded Moz, an SEO tool. And uh, so this is a first-hand experience. He told me that no SEO tool, not even the Google itself, uh, can't have a 100% accurate data on the search volume for every keyword, especially because uh, SEO tools need uh, a one year of data to uh, create some estimates for the search volume for the keyword difficulty and so on. What that means? That means that Ahrefs or Moz or SEMrush, whatever, can't uh, recognize keywords that are trending right now in the last month, in the last three months, right? They will show up keyword difficulty of like zero. That's the first thing. The second thing at Content Horse, what we usually do, we all, 
let's say pretty much in 80% of cases, write articles targeting keywords that have a search volume of like zero to 10, 10, 20, something like that. And whenever we rank for those keywords, we actually end up with 300, 400, 500 organic visitors to those keywords. Why? Because first of all, as you mentioned, SEO tools are not 100% correct. Uh, there is always more people searching for those keywords. And the second of all, there are hundreds of secondary keywords with similar search terms that you will also rank, rank for, right? Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing uh, uh, regarding the content writing process itself. If you uh, write content that's SEO first, meaning first of all, optimized for Google and for the ranking, uh, you will end up, uh, first of all, rank, writing an article that's not useful, writing an article that has a very bad UX and uh, UI, uh, so it will have a very bad experience. People who read it will, will have a very bad experience. And uh, third of all, you won't have a lot of conversions. Uh, and the solution is to write content that user first and SEO second, let's say like that. Because if you write your content with your audience in mind, uh, before all, uh, you will create something of value, right? You won't end up creating a content that's 100% same as every other content. So you will create something of value. You will create something that you can distribute on various channels. Uh, people will enjoy reading your article people will end up converting. And the best part is if you write a well-written, actionable uh, article, it will still be optimized for SEO, right? So uh, there is no really no need to count how many uh, focused keyword, exact focused keyword mentions you have. There is no need to like, uh, like look whether you, uh, used your focus keyword six times in H2 headings or three times in H2 headings, right? So if the content is valuable, it will rank, right? If it gets uh, traffic from distribution, it will rank. If it gets backlinks, it will, it will rank, right? So uh, yeah, Alex, you said it right, right for people, not for the metrics. Um, so that's something that many people fail at. Uh, and it's something that we at Content Horse are genuinely right, uh, fighting against uh, with education. That's our enemy. Like SEO first content is our public enemy and we fight against it, right? So, and uh, there's one more reason that I wanted to tell, but crossed my mind right now. Uh, so yeah, essentially if you write an SEO first content, you will end up just like having an article that's 100% same as every other article on the web, which is something that you don't want. Uh, at the end of the day, we in 21st century have a tendency to forget that we are buying from other people, right? Uh, B2B marketing is still a B2C marketing because you are not uh, marketing yourself to a legal entity on a paper you are marketing yourself to a real human being, right? It doesn't matter whether it works for some company or it doesn't work in some company. It's still a human being. And that human element is something that's 
missing in the majority of brands out there. Like uh, whenever you can use that human element in your content, in your copy, on your website, like show the faces of real people on your website. Forget about the illustrations, right? Il illustration, illustration of some like rocket flying around, like it tells nothing. What I want to care is about people behind the brand. I want to care about your personal expertise, right? So unfortunately, that's something that many people uh, tend to leave out when in this era of automations, AI, uh, chatbots is a very, very huge competitive advantage. Yeah, that's what I like to call getting into the jam you know and just keep nailing it that's that was that was great so uh i guess we uh, uh we answered a question and it is you know how to create trust because uh one of the things is talk to the people and showcase what you know but also like show you and people in front of your company you know because they are the ones that are creating doing the service or creating the products or the kind of way because there's a fact that uh, all of us when we start talking with the companies all the agencies go from below zero because there are so many agencies that do shitty job and that's a fact I mean there are so many of them and that's just you know something that that happens and to be able to uh, you know to eliminate the gap and start at least from zero then we need you know to show what we can do why are we different all all those things so i'm interesting what are you doing regarding that and i know that you are preparing some of the things that are coming in the in the near future as well exactly exactly so one of the mistakes that i really regret making is not focusing on my personal brand earlier right because it's like that famous quote if the best time to plant a tree is uh, was yesterday, the second best time is is today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, as as we said, like people buy from people, they don't buy from companies. So you need people need to trust you, especially if you want to sell high ticket services like we do, right? If I want to sell a ten dollar a month product or even like one hundred dollars a month product, like that's still a very cheap, right? So it's good to have a trustworthy brand, but it's not necessary, right? But if I want to sell a service that costs $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, like that, that's a lot of money. And people need to really be in love with our brand, uh, in love with our content in order to, to buy from us, right? Uh, so essentially, uh, there is something also from Ryan Fishkin that I really like and that he calls it an influence brand. Not an influencer, but rather influence brand. And the way to create an influence brand out of yourself is by sharing value, is by being honest, is by being real, right? So for example, one of our let's say brand identities in Lamlist that we created was be real, no, no bullshit. Like we failed, talk about that, right? We, we had a success, success, let's talk about that, right? Here is what we did wrong. He, here is how we screwed up and here's what we learned from that, right? People 
love honesty. People don't like uh, other people who are not realistic, who who lie. Like in a majority of cases, that can be seen from the spot. Right? You can detect, let's say, people who are fake from from the second that you see their profile picture, right? Uh, so essentially, if you want to become a top leader. If you want to uh, build a trustworthy brand out of yourself and your company, what you need to do is you need to, uh, first of all, uh, walk what you talk. You need to eat your own dog food. Um, you need to share as much value as possible. So don't like, don't bother yourself about uh, things like, hey, he's going to steal our framework, he's going to steal our processes, or if I uh, give our framework for free, like, they won't hire us, they will do it yourself. They won't do it yourself. They will still hire you, right? Because they think of you as an expert, and uh, they don't want to mess up, right? I mean, they, or, they can try to do it, and then they will see it's not that easy, actually. Exactly, exactly. Or they will do that, right? But five months later, they will hire you for something else, right? So it's all about making trust and it's all about being in front of your target audience, right? It's all about speaking to your target audience on events like this one, on podcasts, on on Twitter, right? Uh, so that's how you build an influence brand. That's how you position yourself as a stall leader. And the third thing is, uh, in order to be, let's say, recognized out of the bunch of other peoples, right? Uh, you need to have strong opinions, strong takes about something, right? Uh, that's that's why, for example, writing some uh, writing some tweets that, let's say, fight against some general beliefs, uh, tend to perform really well, or content about that, right? Uh, and again, you need to have an enemy. He, for example, was an enemy of email, right? Slack also had an email as an enemy at the beginning, right? Their core messaging was, we kill email. And that's how they launched a product and how they got a world-class PR, right? So essentially, that's pretty much how, how you build a thought leadership brand and influence brand. Yeah, I mean, basically what you said is, you know, you need to have a strategic narrative and know yeah. why are you doing things. Now, just to clear out for the people, I'm sure that they understood right, but I want to make sure that, uh, that they really do, is uh, Ugi is not talking about, you know, calling up people just for the sake of, you know, calling up and being, you know, uh, somebody who will stood up, but having a purpose and knowing why you are doing something. It's not going against others. It's going against the world as we know it and changing exactly. some of the things. So it becomes better for all of us. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's, and I think not many companies actually have the strategic narrative and especially the one that has been done right. And this is something that actually we need to talk more about. But here comes the topic that you know, I'm interested if we're going to agree or disagree. I would like to disagree with people here. Seems like, you know, on LinkedIn, people started to disagree uh, these days, but not that much. 
uh, it's still, you know, I think still because for many people it's the personal network and, you know, they are afraid what will happen if they disagree with somebody. But this is a topic which is very hot and people talk about, about it. And, you know, it's uh, will AI ever replace content writers and copywriters? Will AI actually, you know, take away our jobs or it won't happen? It won't happen, at least in the next 50 or so years. Uh, and here is why. So first of all, I used many AI tools like Jarvis, Copy AI, like literally I tried a bunch of them. Uh, the first thing is whatever content that I get from AI, it's bullshit. Like it's, it's, it's crappy. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So uh, first of all, AI can't give you a 100% content that's ready for publishing. It's still, uh, AI is still very stupid, right? So uh, it will give you out an article of, let's say, 500, 1,000 words, and uh, you will need to edit at least 20 or 30% of the article, right? So you need that human touch in editing before all. And that's one aspect of it, right? Perhaps in the next like two, three, five years, AI will manage to create an article that's 100% ready for publishing. So that's something that can be done in the next couple of years. But then we have a second problem, and that is AI, uh, at least the GPT-3 as we know it uh, today, uh, and as we will know it in the next 30, 40, 50 years, uh, will create you an article that's 95% same or similar as other articles targeting the same topics. Now, uh, I'm not saying that they are uh, that they won't pass the plag plagiar plagiarism check. Um, they will be unique in terms of that, but the content itself, the value inside those articles will take 100% the same thing as every other article, right? It doesn't have unique insights, some golden gems, golden nuggets inside that will make your article better than any other article in the world. The reason for that is because AI is currently uh, looking at, I don't know, like 10, 50, 100 articles targeting the same things and taking content from there and writing an article for you, right? So AI is still not smart enough to write something that's actually better than everything else. Now, uh, I don't say that people should run away from AI. Uh, it's still very useful and uh, it's very great, first of all, for brainstorming and inspiration. Uh, for example, especially whenever I'm writing a copy for some landing page, I like to use AI to give me some fresh ideas, to give me some fresh concepts, right? And uh, the other thing is people can use AI for the outlines, right? So it will be very, it, it's, it's very good actually for creating an outlines and giving you a baseline on what to write about and what others are writing about. But at the end of the day, you will still need to go through that article uh, repolish it and write and add things that are unique for you, add things from your personal experience. Uh, if you're not the expert in the niche, which is 100% uh, okay, 
we at Content Horse are not experts uh, in all niches that we write about. But then we go and research, we interview the actual industry experts. We listen about a podcast about these, these topics, right? And take the unique insights from them and write them inside our articles. Uh, and that is something that AI will not be able to do. Not, not, not today, not in the next 30, 40, 50 years. Now, I'm not some technology geek, so I don't understand that 100%. Uh, we actually got access to OpenAI project about a month ago, and we actually was planning to build uh, the copy AI or Jervis, right? So uh, we were one of the first to start doing that in the world. Uh, my, my co-founder and I, but at the end of the day, we we stopped that project because we realized that OpenAI, although so much money is invested in that, it's still stupid. Yeah, well said. I think I agree with with everything, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, you know, I will I will add some things uh, in a way that uh, I don't think it will replace uh, a content writer. I think it will replace the whole process. Why? Because a content writer will become somebody that manages the process and all the different tools. So basically, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, a human needs to do the research and needs to create, let's say, a draft. Uh, AI can help you create the outlines out of it, can help you actually write this but you know if you're writing unique things inside the draft you need to have you know unique points and unique view of some things then again you know uh ai tools are becoming smarter so they have like grammarly inside them uh when it comes to the plagiarism sure i mean if not one you will use other tool that will help with that but then you know is it still the content writer or if somebody who manages different tools, not necessarily only AI. Uh, so I think this is the thing that will change, the jobs will change and the job descriptions will change in a way that, you know, if we don't need people to write the whole article, then we will need people with knowledge they can do a good research and they can provide unique perspectives. So we need the, you know, leader in the field a professional that can give unique insights for that, and then we can craft an article around it. Uh, you know, but still, when the article is done, somebody needs to go through it, and you know, uh, see there will probably be uh, mistakes even when the AI have the the you know the grammar checks and everything else. You still need at least the editor. To, to go through it and just check it. So if it is okay, you know, you cannot just go and publish it over there. Um, but you know, that's, that's how I see the things. And, and I agree with, with all your points that you, that you gave, they were all valid. Uh, so, uh, what I like to take from this is that you can write, uh, good content faster. That's basically exactly. what, what it gives you the chance to do it. I mean, in the last few months, we were writing 50 articles per month to people just because, you know, there was a good research. There was uh, a good knowledge of what we want to get out of the article. 
and uh, just because you know uh, we had a process. That's always something that you mentioned, which is highly important. That you know, you know how you are creating the draft, how you are creating the outlines, uh, you know all those other stuff, and how you want the the, the final outcome to look like. So when you yeah. have all that, because basically AI isn't anything else than just, you know, a tool that you need to give the set of limitations so it works in the way that you want it to work. An assistant, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I, to be honest, I also believe that in the near future, uh, in the next, like, perhaps five, ten years or even sooner, we will have a situation where... 80 or 90 percent of the content on the web articles on the web are written by an ai yeah I definitely, think I agree. That, that's definitely possible especially when we have some uh so 100 legitimate perhaps it works uh there are some agencies some content marketing experts out there who are all about the content velocity and publishing as much content as possible uh, to be honest, I don't quite disagree. I, I don't. I, I disagree with that, right? I'm more of a quality is more important than quantity, and distribution is more important than how many articles you're gonna write. But especially since we have that type of marketeers out there, and we have a bunch of people who are going to, uh, who wanna let's say, success overnight, uh, because that we'll have a situation where 80-90% of the content in the world will be written by an AI, right? But the content that will drive real success, that will drive real conversions, uh, that will rank first on Google after all, will still require a lot of human touch. Because yeah, that AI, will, that will differentiate us yeah. from the others. Exactly, yeah. So AI can't know something that's inside their heads, right? It, it can know something that's on the web, but not something from, from our notebooks, from the books that we've read and so on, right? So essentially that's, I think that situation that we are gonna be with. And the truth to be told, many content writers will lost their job because of this, right? But the high quality content writers who really know how to create engaging stories, who know how to uh, show uh, and let's say transfer ideas from someone else's head to a piece of paper, to, to an article, they will still stay around. Uh, that's the one thing. And the second thing, as you said, the content writer position will definitely elevate to something something else yeah and just just to say like this is for the content writers i don't think copywriting will will go the same way i think yeah. it's much more difficult to write sales copy and to persuade somebody it's totally different than content marketing just exactly like and content writing exactly uh here is another viral quote for alex um <laughs> Content uh, and content writing is there to inspire, share the values, and educate. Right? And the copywriter is there to make people act. Yeah, essentially the Sounds basic good. difference. I agree. Well said. 
well said. Okay, so uh, we're practically uh, already at the end. So tell me, um, is there something that we missed or something that you want to say or, you know, what, uh, what did we miss today? I mean, like, I can talk about content marketing and B2B growth like seven days uh, straight. So uh, there is definitely a lot of uh, a lot of uh, things that we can still talk about. Uh, not something significant that we forgot to mention regarding the topics that we already talked about. Uh, but anyway, like there are a bunch of other topics that we can cover later on in some months that are ahead of us but yeah essentially i think that's that's pretty much pretty much it so at the end of the day just to recap everything that we said first of all know your customers uh, know where they hang out on the web know what type of content they love second of all before actually writing something think about the distribution channels that you're going to use think about the goals of that of that article and think about your unique angle to this to this problem uh, then in order if you want conversions uh, if you want money from your content which i truly believe that you want mm-hmm. um, then write content that's before all the user first that tackles their pain problems pain points that gives them value and it gives them solution before all uh, and then the content will be pretty much optimized for the SEO alone, right? Uh, so that the third thing, the fourth thing, distribution is more important than writing itself. Um, so pay additional attention on distribution because first of all, it helps you reach new audiences. Second of all, uh, it actually uh, allows you to uh, test your content before it actually ranks on Google. So you mm-hmm. can have it converts or not. If it doesn't convert, you have time to iterate and fix something. Uh, and third of all, it's positioning you as a thought leader in your field. And the fourth, don't focus 100% of AI, but also have, have that human touch because we're all humans. If you all write content with AI, believe me, content marketing won't, content writing actually won't won't work anymore yeah use it as as an assistant yeah yeah use ai as an assistant well said well said uh okay man tell people where they can find more information about you about your two companies and you know maybe if they love horses then they can find more information about that as well yeah so i i actually am not uh i'm not a professional rider so uh the name of the company that's a very funny situation we'll tell it once but it's that's not my idea it was the idea of one <laughs> of my partners and then i liked it because at that time i was attending the writing school uh but essentially like yeah uh, you can find more about content horse on contentcourse.com um, if you need any help with content marketing and especially if you're a b2b SaaS. Don't hesitate to reach out, happy to help. Uh, if you wanna become a rock star, a superstar in your field, then podino.io is the right address for you. Uh, there you can learn more about our podcast booking process. If you wanna follow me for more information, 
then you can find me on Twitter. It's at Ugi Jurit, U-J-A-D-J-U-R-E-C. I will put the link uh, in the description. Yep. I have a picture with the horse, naturally. Uh, and yeah, that's, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, however, I'm more active on Twitter these days. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it. If you have any questions, happy to help as much as I can. Yeah, thanks, Sugi. It was uh, a great jam. I think it was more than an hour. So yep. that, that, that means that we actually talk about lots of different stuff and gave, gave good insights. I hope I managed to help. Uh, thank you for, for being on the Funky Marketing Show. Guys, uh, see you uh, in the next days with other guests. And what I'm always saying at the end, like, keep it funky. Have a great day, guys.